Chapter 26 For the first time since she had abandoned it, Cress found herself missing her satellite. Jason's private quarters were smaller than her satellite had been. The walls were so thin that she dared not even sing to pass the time. And when she needed to use the facilities, she had to wait for Jason to get off his shift so he could sneak her in and out of the washroom that was shared between the guards and their families, all of whom lived in this underground wing of the palace. Once, she crossed paths with another person, and while it was only a guard's wife who smiled kindly at her without any sign of suspicion, the encounter left Cress shaken. She sensed the queen and her court all around her. She was aware at every moment that one person recognizing her for a shell would mean death, perhaps torture and interrogation first. She was sick with anxiety for her own safety and terrified for the fate of her friends. She was frustrated that Jason never had any news about them. She told herself that it was a good sign. Jason would know if they'd been found, wouldn't he? Cress distracted herself doing what she could to help Cinder's cause with the limited resources available to her in Jason's quarters. She still had her port screen, and though she dared not send any comms, knowing how easily they could be traced, she was able to connect to the Queen's broadcasting system via the holograph node embedded in Jason's wall. The nodes were everywhere on Luna, as common as net screens on Earth, and the feeds as easily hacked. She still had Cinder's pre-recorded video stored in her port, but she was afraid to do anything with it without knowing whether Cinder and the others were ready. Instead, she spent her time interrupting propaganda messages from the Queen and trying to come up with some way she could indicate to her friends that she was alive and relatively safe. She could never think of anything that wasn't either too obvious or too obscure, though and she was too timid to do anything that could alert the queen to her presence. She wished again and again that she had access to the same technology she'd had in the satellite. She felt more cut off from the world than she ever had, with no media to view but that approved by the crown, no way to send a direct communication, no access to Luna's surveillance network or security systems, and, hence, no way to fulfill the duties Cinder had given her. As the hours merged into days, she grew more anxious and addled, itching to get out of this enclosed space and do something. She was altering the soundtrack from a royal message about their brave victories against the weak-minded earthens when hard-soled footsteps in the hall made her pause. They stopped outside Jason's door. Crest disconnected her port screen, threw herself off Jason's cot, and scurried underneath it, pressing herself as close to the wall as possible. Outside, she heard the input of a code and fingerprint check on the lock. The door opened and shut. She held her breath. Just me, came Jason's voice, sounding as disillusioned as ever. Exhaling, Cress crawled out from her hiding spot. She stayed on the floor, her back pressed against the cot's side. The cot was the only place to sit in this tiny room, and she felt guilty taking it from Jason, although she couldn't recall him ever sitting in her presence. He had even slept on the floor since her arrival, without any discussion of it. Any news? She asked. Jason leaned against the door, his shadowed eyes caught on the ceiling. He seemed strangely disheveled. No, 
Cress pulled her knees into her chest. What's wrong? Still entranced by the ceiling, he muttered, You disabled the cameras in the dock. She blinked. Could you do it again? To any cameras in the palace? She reached for her hair. The habit of fidgeting with it was hard to break, though it had been short for weeks now. If I had access to the system, which I don't. He opened his mouth, paused, shut it again. Cress frowned. Jason was rarely chatty, but this was unusual, even for him. Finally, he said, I could get you access to the system. Why are we disabling cameras? His chest rose, and his focus traveled down the bare stone walls and landed on Cress. You're leaving. You, Winter, and that redhead girl are leaving the palace. Tonight. Cress hauled herself to her feet. What? Winter can't stay here, and she won't leave without that friend of hers. You help me get them out of here, and it's your ticket, too. He started to massage his temple. You know where Cinder was heading, right? You can find her. She'll keep Winter safe. She better keep her safe. Suspicion crawled up her spine at the mention of Cinder. Was this a trick? Was he trying to get information from her to be sold to the queen for his own gains? He'd done it before. It will look suspicious if a bunch of camera feeds go down at once, she said. He nodded. I know, but hopefully you'll be gone before anyone notices. She gnawed on her lip. She could put them on a timer, try to make the blackouts seem like random power failures or a system glitch, but even that had the potential for being discovered. Jason had started to pace. She could see his thoughts churning. A plot was forming in his head, though she couldn't begin to guess how he planned to sneak them out of the palace without anyone seeing them, especially when Princess Winter was so recognizable. What happened? said Cress. Did Lavana find out about me? No, it was something else. He was pinching the bridge of his nose now. She's going to have Winter killed. I have to get her out of here. I think I know a way. I can set it up, but... His eyes turned, pleading. Will you help me? Cress's heart squeezed. In the little time she'd known Jason, he had struck her as cold, heartless, and even cruel at times. But now, he was fringed at the edges, ready to tear apart. By disabling the cameras? She asked. He nodded. She looked at her port screen. Though she'd detached it from the holograph node when she scuttled beneath the cot, the connector cable was still dangling from its side. This was her chance. She could get away from the palace, away from this city and all its dangers. She could be with her friends again. She could be safe, tonight. The temptation engulfed her. She had to get out of here. But when she turned her face up toward Jason again, she was shaking her head. Bewilderment flashed across his face. It will be safest for the princess and Scarlet if... She swallowed, but her saliva stuck in her throat. If I stay behind. What? Our best chance for the tampering to go unnoticed will be if I operate the system failure manually. I can turn the cameras off for short bursts, make them look like random power outages. A full blackout would draw too much attention, and... Blacking out just a portion of them would give the queen a clue as to which way Winter and Scarlet went. But if I disable and restart random sections of the surveillance system at the same time, I can make it look like a coincidence. 
she tapped a finger against her lower lip. I could set up a distraction too, maybe an alarm in another part of the palace to draw people away from them. And all the door locks in the major thoroughfares can be altered remotely too. She was growing confident in her decision. She would stay behind to give Winter and Scarlet the best chance for escape. You're insane, said Jason. Do you want to die in this palace? She stiffened. Lavana doesn't know I'm here. As long as you keep me hidden, as soon as Lavana learns I let Winter go, she'll kill me. She clenched her fists, annoyed that he was punching holes in her newfound courage. Scarlet was captured during an attempt to rescue me. And Winter protected me, even though she didn't have to. And I know it put her in a lot of danger. This is how I can repay them, both. Jason stared, and she could see the moment he accepted her decision. It was their best chance, and he had to know it. He turned away, his shoulders starting to fall. I was Sybil's pilot for over a year, he said. I knew about you for over a year, and I did nothing to help you. His confession stabbed her in the chest. She'd always thought Sybil had come alone, never realizing she had a pilot with her until it was too late. Maybe Jason could have helped her, even rescued her. They would never know. He didn't apologize. Instead, he set his jaw and met her eye again. I will protect Winter with my life. Second only to her, I promise to protect you, too. Chapter 27 Scarlet was working on this new thing she liked to call not reacting. It was a skill that by no means came to her naturally. But when she was the one locked inside a cage and her enemy was the one on the outside, jabbering and giggling and generally being buffoons, not reacting seemed like a better habit than screaming obscenities and trying to smack them through the bars. At least it carried a bit more dignity. Can't you get her to do a trick? Asked the lunar woman holding an umbrella of owl feathers over one shoulder, though Scarlet couldn't guess what she was protecting herself from. According to Winter, they had another six days to go before they saw real sunshine again, and there was no rain on Luna at all. The woman's companion leaned over, resting his hands on his knees, and peered at Scarlet through the bars. He was wearing orange sunglasses. Again, Scarlet didn't know why. Scarlet, cross-legged on the ground, her hands folded and her hood pulled up past her ears, peered back. I am a vision of tranquility and indifference. Do something, he ordered. Scarlet blinked. He glared at her. Everyone says earthens are supposed to be cute and amusing. Why don't you do a dance for us? Her insides writhed, wanting more than anything to show this man how cute and amusing she could be. Outside, however, she was statuesque. Are you mute? Or just stupid? Don't they teach you how to address your betters down on that rock? I am the essence of peace and calm. What's wrong with her hand? said the woman. The man glanced down. What's wrong with your hand? Her fingers didn't so much as twitch, not even the half-missing one. The woman yawned. I'm bored, and earthens smell bad. Let's go look at the lions. The man straightened, 
arms akimbo. Scarlet could see him calculating something in his tiny head. She didn't think he would try to use his gift on her. No one had manipulated her since she'd been brought to the menagerie, and she was beginning to suspect her status as one of the princess's pets was protecting her from that torture, at least. He took a step forward. Behind him, Ryu growled. It was a test of willpower for Scarlet to smother a grin. That wolf had really grown on her lately. Though the woman glanced back at the wolf's enclosure, the man kept his attention pinned on Scarlet. You're here to entertain us, he said. So do something. Sing a song. Tell a joke. Something. For my next trick, I will win a staring contest with the moron in the orange sunglasses. Snarling, the man grabbed the umbrella from his girlfriend and closed it. Holding on to the curved handle, he pushed the pointy end through the bars and jabbed Scarlet in the shoulder. Ryu barked. Scarlet's hand whipped upward, her fist wrapping around the feathered fabric. She yanked it toward her, and the man stumbled against the cage. She shoved the umbrella's handle up toward his face. He screamed and reeled back, his glasses clattering to the ground, blood spurted from his nose. Scarlet smirked long enough to shove the umbrella out onto the path. There was no point keeping it, as the guards would just take it away. She stifled her smug expression and returned her face to neutral. This not reacting thing was working out better than she'd expected. After cursing and screaming and getting blood all over his shirt, the man grabbed his girlfriend and the umbrella and stormed away, back toward the menagerie's entrance. They were probably going to rat her out to the guards. She would probably miss a meal or two for her misbehavior. It was totally worth it. She met Ryu's yellow gaze across the way and winked. In response, the wolf raised his nose and howled, a short, joyful sound. You've made a friend. She started. A guard was leaning against a large, leafed tree, arms crossed and eyes steely. He wasn't one of her normal guards, though there was an air of familiarity to him. She wondered how long he'd been standing there. We animals have to stick together, she said, but then resolved that was as much as he would get out of her. She was not here to entertain the spoiled lunar aristocrats, and she was certainly not going to entertain one of the queen's brainless minions. Guess it makes sense you'd like that one. He's related to your boyfriend. Her heart thumped, a sense of foreboding stirred in her chest. Pushing himself off the tree, the guard strolled in front of Ryu's enclosure. One hand was resting at his belt, on the hilt of a large knife. The wolf froze, standing on all fours like he hadn't decided whether to trust this stranger or not. This one's father was the wolf they first gathered DNA from when they started experimenting with the soldiers the queen's prized arctic wolf, once an alpha male. He turned to Scarlet. But you need a pack to be an alpha, don't you? I wouldn't know, she deadpanned. Take my word for it. He listed his head, inspecting her. You don't know who I am. He said it at the same moment her memory clicked. The blonde hair, the uniform, his creepy knowledge of wolf, her recognition only made her more wary. Sure I do. I can't get the princess to shut up about you.
She watched him carefully, curious if Winter's feelings were even half mutual, but he gave nothing away. He was handsome, sure enough, broad-shouldered and chiseled jaw, but he wasn't what she'd been expecting. His posture spoke of condescension, his expression, disinterest. He was all brambles and icicles as he strode toward her cage. He was about as opposite of warm, spacey, babbling winter as she could imagine. Jason didn't crouch or bend down, and it was a strain on Scarlet's neck to look up at him. Her dislike increased. I trust she told you about your friends. Winter had told her they were alive, that they were coming for her, that Wolf missed her very much. Now, meeting the infamous Jason, she couldn't envision him being the one to make that report. I got the message. Scarlet wondered if he expected a thank you, which he wasn't going to get, given that he was here on Luna, wearing that uniform. Whose side was he on? Scarlet huffed and leaned back on her elbows. It may not have been as dignified, but she wasn't about to let this guy intimidate her into a permanent neck ache. Is there something you needed? Winter thinks you're a friend. That makes one of us. After a beat, he revealed a crack in his armor, the tiniest of smiles. What? she asked. Rocking back on his heels, Jason rested his hand on the knife again. I wasn't sure what kind of girl could make a special op go ballistic over her. I'm glad to see it's not the stupid kind. She curled her hands into fists. Also not the kind that buys into empty flattery. Wrapping a hand around one of the bars, Jason finally crouched so they were at eye level. You know why you're still alive? She gritted her teeth and answered, somewhat begrudgingly. Because of winter. That's right, firework. Try not to forget it. It's hard to forget when I'm locked up in her cage, sunshine. The corner of his mouth crinkled with restrained amusement, but it vanished just as fast. Unnerving. He nudged his chin toward her hand. When was the last time someone checked that for infection? I know what infection looks like. She resisted the urge to hide her wounded finger but there was no way she was showing this guy her finger stub. It's fine. He made a noncommittal sound. They say you're a decent pilot. She scowled. What is this, a job interview? Have you ever flown a lunar ship before? For the first time, he had her full attention, but her curiosity was crowded with suspicion. Why? They're not much different from earthen ships, Little different layout of the flight controls, smoother liftoff generally. I think you could figure it out. And why would it matter if I can fly a lunar ship? His gaze cut through her, saying more than his words. He stood. Just be ready. Be ready for what? And why do you care about me, anyway? I don't, he said. So casual, Scarlet had to believe him but I do care about the princess, and she could use an ally. He looked away. A better ally than me. Chapter 28 Winter's heart fluttered as she pushed open the massive glass door to the menagerie. Sounds of wildlife spilled into the corridor, 
squawking birds in their palatial cages, monkeys chattering from overhead vines, white stallions neighing in distant stables. She shut the door before the heat could escape and scanned the forked pathways, but there was no sign of Jason. The menagerie took up several acres of this wing of the palace, a labyrinth of barred cages and glass enclosures. It was always humid and perfumed with exotic flowers, an aroma that barely covered up the animal scent. It was her favorite place. Had been even before Scarlet had lived there. She always felt at home with the animals, who knew nothing of mind control and manipulation. They didn't care if she was beautiful or if she was the queen's stepdaughter or if she was going mad. She could not remember ever having an episode of madness inside these walls, surrounded by her friends. Here, she was calmer. Here, she could pretend that she was in control of her own senses. She tucked an unruly curl behind her ear and moved away from the door. She passed the chilled home of the arctic fox, who was curled atop a birch log, hiding his face behind a bristled tail. The next cage held a mother snow leopard and her litter of three prancing cubs. On the opposite side of the mossy path was a sleeping white owl. It peeped its huge eyes open as winter passed. She spotted Ryu's enclosure ahead, but he must have been sleeping in his den, as the wolf was nowhere to be seen. Then, there was Scarlet, the one creature in the menagerie that was not made up of all white fur or feathers. She wore the distinction with defiance in her red hair and the hooded sweatshirt she never took off despite the humidity. She was sitting with her knees pulled up to her chest, staring at the flowering moss outside her cage. She startled as Winter came closer. Hello, friend, Winter knelt in front of Scarlet's cage. Hello, crazy, said Scarlet. It sounded like an endearment. How are the castle walls today? Winter hummed thoughtfully. She'd been so distracted she'd hardly been paying attention to the walls. Not as bloody as usual, she determined. That's something. Scarlet pulled her curls to one side. Her hair was dark with grease and grime, extinguishing the fiery redness that had once reminded Winter of a comet's tail. She'd also lost too much weight since her captivity. Winter felt a pang of guilt. She should have brought a snack. Scarlet's gaze raked over Winter with a tinge of suspicion, taking in the fluttery dress that sparkled a bit more than usual. You look, she paused. Never mind, what's the occasion? Winter nodded her hands together. Jason asked me to meet him here. Scarlet nodded, unsurprised. Yeah, he came by a bit ago. She tilted her chin toward the path. He went that way. Winter stood again, knees shaking. Why was she so nervous? This was Jason, who had seen her covered in mud and scratches when they were children, who had bandaged her wounds when she got a scrape, who had held her when the visions were closing in, his whispers dragging her back to reality. But something had been different when he asked her to meet him here. For once, he seemed anxious. She spent half the night wondering what it could mean, and her information always pulled her back to one possibility, one glittering hope. He was going to tell her that he loved her. He didn't want to pretend anymore, despite the politics, despite her stepmother. He couldn't go another day without kissing her.
she shivered. Thank you, she murmured to Scarlet. Adjusting her skirt, she headed down the path. Winter? She paused. Scarlet was clutching the bar nearest her face. Be careful. Winter cocked her head. What do you mean? I know you like him. I know you trust him. But just be careful. Winter smiled. Poor untrusting Scarlet. If you insist, she said, turning away. She spotted him as soon as she'd rounded the corner of Ryu's enclosure. Jason was standing alongside a pond that rippled lazily beneath a waterfall, filled with a family of six pristine swans. They were clustered around him as he tossed breadcrumbs from his pockets. He was wearing his uniform, ready to start his shift as her personal guard. His hair was so pale in the menagerie's hazy light that for a sinking moment, Winter imagined he was one of Lavana's animals, one of her pets. She brushed the thought away as Jason looked up. His expression was dark, and her giddiness failed. So, this was not a romantic meeting after all. Of course it wasn't. It never was. This disappointment did not, however, chase away the fantasy of how badly she wanted him to press her against these caged walls and kiss her until she could think of nothing else. She cleared her throat and came to stand beside him. This is quite clandestine, she said, nudging him with her shoulders as he emptied the bread from his pockets. Jason hesitated before nudging her back. The menagerie is open to the public, highness. Yes, and the doors will be locking in five minutes. No one's here. He glanced over his shoulder. You're right. I suppose it is clandestine. A new whisper of hope stirred between her ears. Maybe, maybe. Walk with me, Jason said, ducking off the bridge. She followed him around the pond. His attention was glued to the ground, one hand brushing against the handle of his knife. Ever the guard. Was there something? Yeah, he whispered, as if pulling himself from deep thoughts. There's a thing or two. Jason? He massaged his brow. Winter couldn't recall the last time he'd looked so unsure of himself. In fact, there are a whole lot of things I'd like to say to you. Her heart ricocheted. Struggling through the topsy-turvy thoughts in her head, all she managed to say was a baffled, Oh? Jason's eyes flickered to her, but didn't linger, darting instead down the path. They crossed another ivory-carved bridge. Most of the swans had gone their separate ways, but one was floating after them still, dipping its head into the water. On the other side of the path were albino hares that watched them pass, with red eyes and twitching nose. Ever since we were kids, all I ever wanted was to protect you. Her lips tingled. She wished he would stop walking so she could see his face. But he didn't stop, guiding her past rocky outcroppings and drooping, heavy-headed flowers. Knowing you were there at the trial, all I could think of was, I have to survive this. I'm not going to make her sit there and watch me die. Jason, but I was stupid to think I could protect you forever. Not from her. His tone turned harsh. 
Winter's emotions were shredded from the constant flipping of this conversation. Jason, what is this about? He took in a shaky breath. They'd come full circle, and she could see that Ryu was awake now, prowling behind his bars. Jason stopped walking, and Winter tore her gaze from the wolf. She was pinned beneath Jason's ice-blue stare. She gulped. She wants to kill you, princess. Winter shivered, first with the intensity of his words, and second with their meaning. She supposed such a declaration should have shocked her, but ever since Lavana had given her these scars, she'd been expecting this. Her disappointment over Jason not bringing her here to confess his love was more potent than the knowledge her stepmother wanted her dead. What have I done? He shook his head, the deep sadness returning. Nothing that you could help. The people love you so much. Lavana's just realized how much. She thinks you could be a threat to her crown. But I could never be queen, she said. The bloodline, the people would never- I know, his expression was sympathetic, but it doesn't matter. She drew back, hearing his words again, spoken with such certainty. She wants to kill you, princess. She told you this? A sharp, single nod. Bright spots flickered in her vision. She stepped backward, grasping the rail of Ryu's enclosure. Behind her, she heard a growl, followed by Ryu's nose against her fingers. She hadn't realized he was there. She asked you to do it. His jaw clenched. Guiltily, he glanced at the wolf. I'm so sorry, princess. When the world stopped spinning, she dared to look up at the camera over his shoulder. She rarely paid the cameras much attention, but now she wondered if her stepmother was watching, waiting to see her stepdaughter murdered so she could protect her throne from an imaginary threat. Why would she do that to you? He laughed, like someone had stabbed him in the chest, and he had no other choice but to find it amusing. To me? Really? She forced herself to stand tall. Recalling her breathless anticipation of this meeting, she thought of what a naive, silly girl she'd been. Yes, she said firmly. How could she be so cruel to ask you of all people? His face softened. You're right, it's torture. Tears started to mist her eyes. She threatened someone, didn't she? She's going to have someone killed if you don't do this. He didn't respond. She sniffed, blinking the tears away. He didn't have to tell her. It didn't really matter who it was. It's selfish of me, but I'm glad it's you, Jason. Her voice shook. I know you'll make it quick. She tried to imagine it. Would he use his knife? A gun? She had no idea what was the fastest way to die. She didn't want to know. Jason would have had to ask these same questions all the night before, all that day. He must have been planning how to do it, dreading this meeting as much as she'd been yearning for it. Her heart broke for him. Behind her, Ryu started to growl. Winter. It had been so long since he'd called her by her name. Always princess, always highness. Her lip quivered, but she refused to cry. She wouldn't do that to him. 
Jason's fingers curled around his knife. It was torture. Jason looked more afraid than when he'd stood on trial. More pained now than when his torso had been stripped raw from the lashings. This was the last time she would ever see him. This was her last moment, her last breath. Suddenly, all of the politics and all of the games stopped mattering. Suddenly, she felt daring. Jason, she said with a shaky smile, you must know, I cannot remember a time when I didn't love you. I don't think such a time ever existed. His eyes filled with a thousand emotions. But before he could say whatever he would say, before he could kill her, Winter grabbed the front of his shirt with both hands and kissed him. He thawed much quicker than she'd expected, almost instantly, like he'd been waiting for this moment. He grabbed her hips and pulled her against him with a possessiveness that overwhelmed her. His lips were desperate and starved as he leaned into the kiss, pressing her against the rail. She gasped and he deepened the kiss, threading one hand into the hair at the nape of her neck. Her head swam, muddled with heat and a lifetime of desire. Jason's other hand abandoned her hip. She heard the ring of steel as the knife was pulled from its scabbard. Winter shuddered and kissed him harder, filling it with every fantasy she'd ever had. Jason's hand slipped out of her hair. His arm encircled her. He held her against him like they couldn't get close enough, like he meant to absorb her body into his. Releasing his shirt, Winter found his neck, his jaw. She felt the tips of his hair on her thumbs. He made a noise, and she couldn't tell if it was desire or pain or regret or a mix of everything. His arm tensed against her back. His weight shifted as he raised the knife. Winter squeezed her eyes tight. Having seen so many deaths in her life, she had the distant thought that this was not such a horrible way to go. His arm jerked downward, and Winter gasped, the rush of air separating them. Her eyes flew open. Behind her, Ryu yelped, but the sound turned to a betrayed whimper. Jason's eyes were open too, blue and regretful. Winter tried to back away, but he held her firm. She had nowhere to go anyway, pinned between him and the railing as she was. Over his shoulder, the camera's light glowed against the ceiling. Her breaths were ragged. Her head spun. She couldn't tell her heartbeat from Jason's. Jason, whose cheeks were flushed and whose hair was a mess. Jason, who she had finally dared to kiss. Jason, who had kissed her back. But if she'd expected to see desire in his face, she was disappointed. He had frozen again. Do me a favor, princess, he whispered, his breath warm against her mouth. The next time someone says they're going to kill you, don't just let them. She stared at him, dazed. What had he done? Winter's knees gave out. Jason caught her, sliding her down the enclosure's bars. Her hand landed in something warm and wet, seeping out from underneath the short wall. You're all right, princess, Jason murmured. You're all right. Ryu? Her voice broke. They'll think the blood is yours. He was explaining something, but she didn't understand. 
Wait here. Don't move until I turn out the lights. Got it, princess? Don't move, she whispered. Jason pulled away, and she heard the knife being ripped from the wolf's flesh. The body sagged against the bars. Jason cupped her scarred cheek, studying her to be sure she wasn't mid-breakdown, to be sure she understood. But all she could comprehend was the warm stickiness soaking through her skirt. Blood was flooding the pathway. Gallons and gallons of blood were suddenly dripping from the glass ceiling, splattering on her arms, filling up the pond. Winter, she gaped at Jason, incapable of speaking. The memory of the kiss clouded over with something awful and unfair. Ryu, sweet, innocent Ryu. Until the lights go out, he repeated. Then I want you to get your redhead friend and get off this damned game board. Jason's thumbs rubbed against her skin, stirring her from her shock. Now play dead, princess. She sagged, finding relief in the command. They were playing a game. A game, like when they were kids. It's a game, and the blood isn't real, and Ryu- She scrunched her face against the tears. A sob stayed locked in her throat. Jason propped her against the cage wall, and then his warmth was gone. The heaviness of his boots thudded away, leaving a path of sticky footprints in his wake. Chapter 29 Scarlet's frown felt etched into her face as she stared down the empty pathway of the menagerie. Winter had gone that way what felt like hours ago and Scarlet knew no guests were supposed to be in the menagerie this late. Probably those rules didn't apply to princesses, though. Maybe Winter was getting that romantic tryst she'd wanted after all. But something didn't feel right about it. Scarlet could have sworn she'd heard Ryu emerge from his den. But he hadn't yet come to see her, as was his normal routine. And she'd heard a noise something that reminded her of the sound a goat makes during slaughter, something that sent chills down her limbs, despite the menagerie's warmth and her zipped-up hoodie. Finally, footsteps. Scarlet wrapped her hands around the bars. She knew her suspicions were right as soon as the guard came into view, a knife clutched in one hand. Her heart pounded. Even from this distance, she could see darkness on the blade. Even not knowing Jason... She could read the regret on his face. Her knuckles whitened on the bars. What did you do? She said, choking back the fury that wanted to explode out of her, but would have nowhere to go. Where's Winter? His gaze didn't waver as he came to stand outside her cage, and Scarlet didn't shrink back from him, despite the knife and the blood. Hold out your hand, he said, crouching. She sneered. Do you know what happens to people around here who hold out their hand? He stabbed the point of the knife into the soft moss and, before Scarlet could move, reached for her wrist and twisted so hard a scream of pain arced up her shoulder. Scarlet gasped and her hand betrayed her, opening, palm up. It wasn't mental manipulation, just a plain old dirty trick. Scarlet tried to rip her arm back through the bars, but his grip was iron. Changing tactics, she pressed her body against the cage and clawed at his face. But he hovered out of reach. 
Dodging a second swipe of Scarlet's nails, the guard removed his scabbard from his belt and tipped it over. A tiny cylinder dropped into her palm. He released her. Scarlet's fingers curled around the cylinder instinctively, her body shuddering back out of the guard's reach. Plug that into the security port of a lunar ship, and it will allow royal access. You can figure out the rest. There's also a message from a friend of yours encoded in there. But I suggest you wait until you're far away before worrying about that. What's going on? What did you do? He slammed the knife into the scabbard and, to her surprise, tossed it at her. She flinched, but it landed harmlessly in her lap. You need to find Artemisia Port E-Bay 22. Repeat it. Her pulse was hammering. She looked down the path again, expecting Winter's black curly hair and glittering dress and the uncanny grace of her walk to appear any second. Any second. Repeat it. Port E Bay 22. She wrapped her fingers around the knife's handle. I suggest going through the gamekeeper's halls first. Winter will know the way from there. We'll do what we can about the security, but try not to do anything stupid. And if you're tempted to try and leave Luna, fight it. You'll just draw attention. And that little pod isn't equipped for far distances anyway. Act like you're going to pick up a delivery in RM9. That's where your boyfriend grew up. Understand? No. Just get away from Artemisia, Port E, Bay 22, Sector RM9. He stood. And when you see that princess of yours, tell her to hurry up. Scarlet dragged her attention back to him, thinking, Winter? Winter had better hurry up? But then she realized he was talking about the other princess. Selene. Cinder. Jason rounded the cage to the side with the barred door and pressed his thumbprint into the pad, identifying himself. He entered a code. Scarlet heard a telltale release of the lock and the clunk of the bolt. Her nerves hummed. Count to ten. Without looking at her, Jason turned and walked away. Everything in her screamed to shove that door open and race down the pathway to find Winter, but she refrained. Her fingers twitched. He had given her a weapon and an escape. She didn't know what was going on, but something told her that not reacting for ten measly seconds wasn't going to kill her. On the count of four, she shoved the small cylinder into her hoodie's pocket. On five, she tucked the knife into the back of her torn, disgusting jeans. On six, she neared the bars again and pressed her face against them. On seven, she screamed, Winter, are you? On eight, the lights went out, plunging her into darkness. Scarlet froze. That jerk. Was this supposed to make it easier? Was this supposed to be helpful? Was this? Oh, the cameras. Huffing, Scarlet checked that the knife was secure and pushed open the cage door. She scrambled through it and used the bars to pull herself to her feet. Her legs wobbled from lack of use. She steadied herself and stepped out onto the moss. First, see if the princess was dead. Second, find out where the hell Port E was. Winter, she hissed, shuffling across the path. The enclosure wall seemed farther than she remembered, her own muddled senses playing tricks on her. 
Finally, her hand found the railing, and she used it to glide her way down the path. Were you? The wolf didn't answer. Another oddity. Above the artificial jungle canopy and the glass walls, stars could be seen twinkling in abundance, and Scarlet's eyes adjusted to the dim light they provided. As she rounded a corner, she could make out only the shadows of tree boughs overhead and her own hand in front of her face. She squinted. There was something white in the pathway, which could have been any number of albino animals that had their run of the place, but Scarlet's instincts told her exactly what it was, who it was. Winter, she jogged the rest of the way, her hand skimming the rail. The princess's shape took form, slumped across the bars. Something dark pooled beneath her. Oh no, oh no, princess! She collapsed to her knees, tilting Winter back and feeling around her throat. The walls are bleeding. The faint, near delirious words sent a wave of relief over Scarlet. Winter's heartbeat was strong when she found it. Where are you hurt? The blood, everywhere. So much blood. Winter, I need you to talk to me. Where did he hurt you? She ran her hands over the princess's arms, shoulders, throat, but the blood was all beneath her. Her back, then? He killed Ryu. Scarlet froze. The princess sobbed and fell forward, pressing her forehead into the crook of Scarlet's neck. He was trying to protect me. Scarlet didn't know if she meant the wolf or the guard. You're all right, she said, more confirmation for herself. She glanced around. The menagerie disappeared in blackness, but she could hear the gurgle of a waterfall, the prowling of small paws, the leaves of a tree shaking as some creature scurried through it. She caught sight of the bundle of white fur behind winter, and her heart twinged, but she quickly smothered the feeling. Like with her grandmother, there would be time to mourn later. Right now, she was getting them out of here. Her brain clicked into overdrive. Guards were always posted at the menagerie doors, and they would no doubt become suspicious when Princess Winter didn't return. Unless Jason had something up his sleeve for them. But either way, Scarlet wasn't about to traipse out into the middle of the queen's palace. She looked past Ryu. On the far wall, she could make out the vague outline of the door that led into the gamekeeper's hallways, corridors used to feed the animals and maintain their cages. Jason had suggested this route, and as much as he got under her skin, she had no reason to question him. Come on, she hauled Winter to her feet. The princess peered down at her hands and started to shake. The blood. Yes, yes, the walls are bleeding, I get it, look. Over there, focus. Scarlet grabbed Winter's elbow and spun her around. See that door? That's where we're heading. Here, I'll give you a boost. She knitted her fingers together, but Winter didn't move. Winter, I am giving you five seconds to get your act together and decide to help me out. Or else, I am leaving you behind with your dead wolf and your bleeding walls. Got it? Winter's lips were parted and her expression dazed, but after three seconds, she nodded. Or her head dipped and Scarlet thought her eyelashes may have fluttered a little, which she was going to count. Good, 
Now step into my hands and get over that rail. The princess did as she was told. The act was clumsy, which was at odds with every movement Scarlet had ever seen her make. As winter collapsed into the wolf's enclosure, the reality of the situation crashed down around Scarlet. That guard had given them a chance to escape. They were making a run for it. Adrenaline rushed through her veins. Scarlet checked the knife one more time, then grasped the rail and hauled herself over. She landed with a grunt and sprang back up, running for the door. It swung open and, to her relief, no alarm sounded. She glanced back to see the princess stooped over Ryu's body. But before Scarlet could yell for her, the princess lifted her chin, swiped her bloodied palms on her skirt, and followed. Chapter 30 The feeding halls were pitch black. Scarlet paused to listen for footsteps or voices. But there was nothing but the muffled chatter of birds they'd left behind. The smell reminded her of the farm, a heady combination of feed and hay and manure. She oriented herself. Going right would lead her farther into the menagerie. But left might land them back in the palace hopefully in some sort of servant's quarters. With one hand on the wall, she grabbed Winter's wrist and took off. Her fingers skimmed over closed doors, and she used what she knew of the menagerie to count them. This must be the stag. This could be the snow leopard. Is this the arctic fox? They turned a corner, and a blinking light caught her eye, hazy and distant. She headed toward it and found a control panel embedded in the wall, where one could control the menagerie's lights and temperature and automatic feeders. Beside the panel, barely seen in its faint light, was a door. She pressed the unlock mechanism, hoping beyond hope that this door didn't lead to the lion. Nothing happened. Cursing, Scarlet pressed the unlock mechanism again. Nothing. Then... The control panel pinged, startling her, and a message scrolled across the top. Be careful, Scarlet. Her jaw fell. What? Before she could question it, she heard the door unlock. Trembling, she reached for the handle. The door slid open. She flinched at the onslaught of light and pulled Winter against the wall, but a glance told her this well-lit hallway was equally desolate. Narrow and plain. If Scarlet had to guess what a servant's hall looked like, this would be it. She listened and heard nothing. She looked up, and her heart jumped. A camera was rotating on the ceiling, scanning the hallway back and forth. But no sooner had Scarlet spotted it than it froze. Its power light dimmed and went out. Startled, Scarlet leaned farther into the hallway and saw a second camera some fifty paces away, just as it, too, shut off. What had Jason said? Something about handling the security? But how? Fumbling for Winter's elbow, Scarlet dragged her into the hallway. Do you know where we are? Near the guest wing. Well, that was something. At least Scarlet didn't have to worry about them starting out hopelessly lost. We're trying to get to Artemisia Port E. You know where that is, right? 
E, murmured Winter. E for execution. Earth. Everett. Emperor. She pondered a moment longer. E for escape. Scarlet groaned. E for unhelpful. No, that does not work. Scarlet spun on her, and the princess came to a hasty stop. The back of her skirt was dark with blood, and smears of it covered her arms, her legs, even her face. In fact, looking down, Scarlet saw that she had a fair amount of it on herself as well. This would not help to make them inconspicuous. The docks, Winter, she said, glowering at the princess. Do you know where they are or not? The princess scrunched up her face and pressed her bloodied palms against her cheeks, and for a moment, Scarlet thought she was going to cry. No, yes, I don't know. Her breath shortened, her shoulders beginning to quake. Princess, warned Scarlet. I think so. The ducks. Yes, the ducks, with the mushrooms. Mushrooms? And the shadows that dance, port E, E for escape. Yeah, E for escape. Scarlet could feel her hope slipping through her fingers. There was no way this was going to work. How do we get there? We take the rail to the edge of the city. The rail, all right. How do we get there? Down, down, down we go. Scarlet could feel her patience unraveling. And how do we go down? Winter shook her head, apology swimming in her amber eyes. Scarlet would have wanted to hug her if she hadn't simultaneously wanted to strangle her. Fine, I'll figure it out. Come on. She took off down the hallway, hoping they would stumble across a flight of stairs or an elevator. Servants had to get around quickly, didn't they? Surely they wouldn't find... She rounded a corner and screeched, nearly colliding with a girl, a maid who couldn't have been more than 14 years old. Winter crashed into Scarlet, and she grasped the princess's arm, adrenaline thundering in her ears. The maid stared at Scarlet for a heartbeat, then at the princess covered in blood, then dropped into a nervous curtsy, clutching the linens in her arms. Your Highness, she stammered. Clenching her teeth, Scarlet grabbed the knife out of the scabbard and lunged for the girl, pinning her against the wall with the blade against her throat. The girl squeaked. The linens tumbled around their feet. We need to get to the rail that will take us to the docks. Quickest way there, now. The girl started to shake, her eyes round. Do not be afraid, said Winter, her voice sing-song and delicate. She will not hurt you. Like hell I won't. How do we get to the docks? The girl raised a finger. Down this hallway, to the right. The stairs go down to the sh shuttle platform. Pulling away, Scarlet grabbed a white tablecloth from the fallen stack and ushered Winter down the hall without looking back. The corridor ended in a T. Scarlet turned right and found an alcove that dropped into a bright stairwell. Once the door had shut behind them, Scarlet shook out the tablecloth and draped it around Winter, doing her best to knot it into something that resembled a cloak, hiding the blood and the princess's recognizable beauty. Deeming her work passable, she grabbed Winter's hand and headed down the steps. 
As they reached the second landing, the walls changed to rough gray-brown stone. They were underground, in the sublevels of the palace. Three floors down, they emerged onto a platform lit by glowing sconces. Before them were silent magnetic rails. Scarlet approached the ledge, peering each way down the tunnel. She spotted a second doorway, arched and trimmed with phosphorescent tiles. The entry into the palace corridors, as opposed to the dull servant's entrance. Something clicked. The magnets started to hum. Heart launching into her throat, Scarlet held out her arm and backed Winter against the wall. A bullet-shaped shuttle emerged from the tunnel and glided to a stop on the tracks. Scarlet held still, hoping whoever it was wouldn't see them, wouldn't even glance their way. The shuttle door lifted with a hiss of hydraulics, and a giggling noblewoman stepped out, wearing a flamboyant emerald green gown that glittered with jeweled peacock feathers. A man followed in a tunic stitched with runes similar to those worn by the thaumaturges. He reached over and squeezed the woman's backside. She squealed and swished him away. Scarlet didn't breathe until they'd stumbled to the door and their laughter faded in the stairwell. That was not her husband, Winter whispered. I really don't care. Scarlet lunged toward the shuttle. Open! The shuttle didn't move. The door didn't open. Open, you stupid piece of junk! Digging her fingers into the crack of the door, Scarlet tried to pry it open. Her injured finger throbbed for the first time in days. Come on! What's wrong with this thing? How do we- The door opened, nearly knocking Scarlet off balance. A robotic voice said, Transport to Artemisia Port E. Goosebumps rushed along her skin, but she urged Winter inside, silently thanking whatever invisible ally was helping them. Climbing in after Winter, Scarlet collapsed onto a bench. The door breezed shut, sealing them inside. As the shuttle lifted and began to glide down the tracks, Winter added, For escape. Scarlet swiped her damp forehead with a dirty sleeve. When she felt her panic settle down enough to speak, she asked, what happened back there, in the menagerie? The strength that had entered Winter's eyes just as quickly extinguished. The queen sent him to kill me, she said, but he killed Ryu instead. Scarlet unzipped her hoodie, trying to cool her burning skin. Why does the queen want to kill you? She believes I am a threat to her crown. Scarlet snorted an exhausted sound that didn't carry half as much derision as it should have. Really? Has she ever heard you talk? Winter turned questioning eyes on her. Because you're crazy, explained Scarlet. Not exactly queen material, no offense. I cannot be queen because I am not of royal descent. Her majesty is only my stepmother. I have none of her blood. Right, because that's what's important in a ruler. Though there were two monarchies in the Earthen Union, the United Kingdom and the Eastern Commonwealth, Scarlet had grown up in Europe, a democracy made up of checks and balances, voter ballots, and province representatives. She generally figured, to each his own, and clearly the countries of the Union were doing something right to have gotten through 126 years of world peace. But, 
that wasn't the case with Luna. Something was broken with their system. The shuttle began to slow. Scarlet glanced toward the window as the rocky black cave opened up to an enormous spaceship port bustling with activity. The tiled floor glowed, casting the shadows of countless ships against the dark walls. But this dock was crowded and huge, with several more sets of maglev tracks bringing in more shuttles every second. Cargo was being unloaded on another set of tracks, food and goods coming in from the outer sectors, by men who yelled at one another in abbreviated orders that sounded like another language. Bay 22, Scarlet reminded herself as their shuttle door opened. Try to fit in. Winter glanced at her, a moment of perfect clarity and even humor in the look. She was right. They were filthy. They were bloody. Winter was a well-loved princess who was prettier than a bouquet of roses and crazier than a headless chicken. Fitting in would be a miracle. You could use your glamour, Scarlet suggested. The connection severed, and Winter turned away. No, I couldn't. She stepped out onto the platform. Scarlet followed, relieved that she didn't see anyone wearing rich finery and donning ridiculous headpieces. This was a place for trade and cargo not aristocrats. But that didn't mean they were safe. Already she could sense the workers pausing, looking again, staring. You mean you won't, said Scarlet. I mean I won't, agreed the princess. Then at least keep your head down. Scarlet adjusted the tablecloth material over Winter's hair as they moved away from the rails. The port was enormous, stretching far into the distance, Hundreds of dark alcoves lined either side, numbers carved above them. Scarlet scanned the cargo as they passed, her eye catching on words of war. Small arms ammunition. Deliver. Lunar Regiment 51, Pack 437. Thom Light, Alpha Gainus. Stationed, Rome, Italy, EF, Earth. Ammunition. These were weapons destined for Earth to aid in Luna's war efforts. Don't react, she told herself, fists clenching, every fiber in her body yearning to find a weapon and set fire to every crate in this port. Don't react. Do not react. Steadying her breath, she forged ahead, winter trailing beside her. She caught E7 stenciled on a wall to her left, E8 on her right, almost there. It took every ounce of willpower not to sprint to Bay 22. Can I help you? They paused. A worker stepped toward them, wearing filthy coveralls. What are you? He caught himself, his gaze landing on Winter, or what he could see of her downturned face. I forgive me, your highness. Winter looked up. Color flooded into the man's cheeks. It is you, he breathed. I didn't... Can I help you, your highness? Scarlet bristled. No one else had noticed them yet. She grabbed the man's arm before he bowed. Her highness does not wish to be gawked at. If you want to help, you can escort us to Bay 22. Anxiety flashed across the man's face and he nodded, as if he were afraid of her. Maybe he thought she was a thaumaturge in training.
Yes, of course, right this way. Scarlet released him and shot Winter a cool glare, gesturing for her to hide her face again. The man's stride was stiff as he led them past hovering cargo platforms and crates on complicated tracks. Scratching his neck with his free hand, he glanced twice over his shoulder. Is something wrong? said Scarlet, steel in her tone. N no, I'm sorry. Then stop looking at her. He opened his mouth, and Scarlet thought he wanted to mention the blood or the grime or Winter's very existence. But then he shut it again and kept his head down. Some of the alcoves they passed had heavy metal doors over them, but most were open, showing docked ships within. See, Winter whispered, mushrooms and the shadows that dance. Scarlet followed her gesture. The spacecraft's shadows on the walls did look something like dancing mushrooms. Sort of, if she tilted her head and squinted just right. Bay 22, your highness. Scarlet glanced at the number over the arch door and the pod ship enclosed within. It was a two-person carrier, inset with the gold insignia of the royal court. Thank you, said Scarlet. That will be all. The man's eyebrows stitched together. Will, will you need an escort back? Scarlet shook her head and linked her elbow with Winters again, but had only taken two steps when she paused. Tell no one you saw us, she told the man. But if someone asks, tell them we glamoured you into helping us. Understand? His round eyes fell on Winter, who smiled warmly. His blush deepened. I'm not so sure you didn't, he muttered. Rolling her eyes, Scarlet hauled the princess toward the ship. She checked that the man was gone before she opened the pilot's side door and nudged Winter inside. All the way over, unless you plan on flying this thing. Winter complied without question. Scarlet removed the knife from her waistband and settled it between them. She shut the door and the noise of the docks silenced in the vacuum-sealed ship. Scarlet exhaled, willing her hands to stop shaking, willing the mess of controls in front of her to come into focus. She examined the cockpit, noting what was similar to the delivery ship she'd flown since she was 15 and what was different. I can do this, she whispered, pressing her fingers against the main screen. It brightened. The controls lit up. Security clearance undetermined. She stared at the message. She had to read it four times before the meaning of the words sank in. She half expected their phantom helper to override the ship's security and start the engines for her, too. When nothing happened, she remembered the cylinder Jason had given her. She fished it from her pocket and popped off its cap, holding her breath as she jammed it into the corresponding security port. An icon whirled over the message, and whirled, and whirled. Her stomach tightened. A drop of sweat slid down the back of her neck. Clearance granted. Welcome, Royal Guard, Jason, Clay. Scarlet whooped, dizzy with relief. She jogged a few switches. The engines hummed, and the ship lifted up off the magnetic force beneath the ports, steady and sure. Outside their alcove, a series of cargo ships were making their way toward the sealed chamber that separated Artemisia's port E from the emptiness of space. 
They could slip in right behind them, and no one would stop a royal ship. No one would even question. Wait, said Winter, as Scarlet nudged the pod ship forward. Scarlet's heart dropped. What, she said, scanning the port for a thaumaturge, a guard, a threat. Winter reached over and pulled the pilot's harness over Scarlet's head. Safety first, Scarlet friend. We are fragile things. Chapter 31 Winter was mesmerized by Scarlet's confident hands as they skimmed over the ship's controls. Behind the ship, enormous iron doors slammed shut, locking them in a vacuum-sealed chamber with a dozen other ships waiting to be released from Artemisia's underground port. Tearing her attention away from Scarlet and the twinkling instruments, Winter glanced over her shoulder at the interlocking doors. So ancient, they almost looked like they had existed on the moon even before colonization. Now, they divided her from the ports, the city, the palace, and Jason. Scarlet was all nerves, tapping her fingers across the instruments. How long is this going to take? I don't know. I've only ever left Artemisia on the maglev rails. They just have to seal a couple doors, right? Scarlet reached overhead and toggled a few switches. The lights inside the ship faded to black. This would be a bad time for someone to look over and recognize you. They'd probably think I was kidnapping you. You are, in a manner. No, I'm saving you from your psychotic stepmother. There's a difference. Winter pulled her attention away from the doors and scanned the nearby ships. Most seemed to be cargo ships. She wondered how many were taking supplies for the war efforts on Earth, or carrying more of the Queen's soldiers. Still, most would be headed to the outer sectors for deliveries, or to load up on goods to be brought back to the capital. It was much faster to fly than to take the maglev shuttles halfway around the moon. Are we going to Earth? Scarlet's frown deepened. Jason said this ship wouldn't make it that far. He said to go to Sector RM9. Jason, brave Jason, always protecting her. She'd abandon him. Scarlet tugged on one of the drawstrings of her hoodie, the end frayed and dirty. Jason said this sector where we're going to is where Wolf grew up. His family might still be there. Winter trailed her fingers along her harness and sang to herself. The earth is full tonight, tonight, and the wolves all howl. Howl! We need an ally, someone we can trust. Maybe I can persuade Wolf's parents to shelter us, hide us, until we come up with a better plan. And in the name of all the stars, what is taking so long? Winter blinked at her. Ow! Scarlet huffed. Would you focus? We need to find some place we can hide from the queen. She will find us anywhere. We will not be safe. Don't say that. The people like you, don't they? They'll protect you. Us? I do not wish to put them in danger. You need to get over that mode of thinking right now. This is us against her, Winter. From now on, I need you to think like a survivalist. Winter took in a shuddering breath 
jealous of the embers that burned inside Scarlet. She felt hollow and cold on the inside, easily shattered. Scarlet popped one of her sweatshirt's drawstrings into her mouth and gnawed on the plastic end. RM9, she muttered to herself. What does RM9 mean? Regolith Mining Sector 9. That is a dangerous sector. Dangerous? Dangerous how? Regolith sickness. Many deaths. Scarlet's mouth quirked. Sounds like the sort of place Lavana wouldn't look for you. Scarlet clicked on a screen and opened up a map. Perfect. A second set of massive doors began to slide apart, disappearing into the black cavern walls. Faint light spilled in. Scarlet? What? Scarlet looked up and gasped. Finally! As the gap between the doors grew, Winter saw they were in a cave built into the side of a crater. Beyond its rim lay the rocky wasteland of Luna, its jagged rocks and pockmarked surface as unwelcoming as a black hole. Jason saved us both, she whispered, her chest aching. Scarlet harumphed and guided the ship forward, falling in line with the others. Ahead, the boosters on the ships nearest the exit flamed and thrust them into space. He could have been a little more forthcoming with information, but... Yeah, remind me to thank him someday. Levana will kill him. She looked down. There was dried blood beneath her fingernails, smearing her dress, drenching her slippers. She blinked, and the bloodstains began to seep through the fabric, spreading. Winter let out a weak breath. It's not real, princess. I'm sure he stayed behind for a reason, said Scarlet. He must have a plan. Their ship reached the front of the line and the whole galaxy opened up before them. A bold smile curled on Scarlet's lips. Here we go. As Scarlet's fingers flew over the controls and the pod ship hummed around them, Winter glanced back one last time. There was a jerk. Her stomach flipped, and then they were soaring out of the holding bay, and Scarlet was laughing, and the crystal dome that housed Artemisia was beneath them, and growing smaller and smaller, and... Winter sobbed and pressed a hand to her mouth. Hey, hey, none of that, said Scarlet, not bothering to hide her own effusive joy. We made it, Winter, and I'm sure Jason will be fine. He seems tough. Winter's neck began to ache from being twisted in her seat. But she didn't want to tear her gaze away from Artemisia, not even as the palace and the buildings blurred together and the lights twinkled and went out, invisible beneath the dome's surface. She will kill him. I know you're worried, but look, we are out of that star-forsaken city. We're alive and we're free, so stop moping. Winter rested her cheek against her chair's back. More tears were threatening to escape, but she held them back, focusing instead on her ragged breaths. After a long silence, she felt a hand settle over hers. I'm sorry, said Scarlet. That wasn't fair. I know you like him. Winter swallowed. I love him like I love my own platelet manufacturing plant.
Your own what? I don't know. My heart, I think. My body. I love him, every part of him. Fine, you love him, but Winter, he seemed to know what he was doing. Protecting me, Winter whispered. He's always protecting me. She was startled by the unexpected scent of blood invading her lungs. She looked down and gasped. What? What's wrong? Winter held the fabric of her dress away from her stomach. The blood had soaked the shimmering white material, turning it dark red. Even the cloth they'd taken from the servant was covered. The stench was so thick she could taste it. Winter? It's, it's nothing, she stammered, trying to imagine it away. The blood dripped down her legs. You're hallucinating, aren't you? Winter leaned back against the seat. She wrapped her fingers around the straps of her harness. It's all in your head, princess. It isn't real. I'm fine. It will go away soon. Honestly, Scarlet snapped. Why don't you just use your glamour? Why let it drive you crazy like this? I won't. Winter choked down another difficult breath. I get that, but why? It is a cruel gift. I wish I hadn't been born with it. Well, you were born with it. Look at you, Winter. You're a mess. Why don't you just, I don't know, make me think your hair is orange or something, something harmless. It's never harmless. The harness constricted. Her fingernails clawed at the straps. If I had the gift, continued Scarlet, ignorant of the harness's choking hold, the gushing blood, I would have shown those snobby imbeciles a thing or two. See how they like being asked to do tricks. Winter's hands were wet and slick and sticky. My grandfather was lunar, said Scarlet. I never met him, but I do know he died in an insane asylum. I have to assume because he made the same choice you are making now. He was down on earth and trying to hide what he was, so maybe he had a reason, but... You? Why do this to yourself? How does it make anything better? It does not make anything worse. It makes you worse. Why can't you just do good things with it? Winter laughed against the strain of the delusion. They all believe they are doing good. Her head fell to the side, and she watched Scarlet with her bleary eyes. My stepmother is not only powerful because the people fear her. She is powerful because she can make them love her when she needs them to. We think that if we choose to do only good, then we are only good. We can make people happy. We can offer tranquility or contentment or love, and that must be good. We do not see the falsehood becoming its own brand of cruelty. The ship trembled, and their speed increased. Luna blurred beneath them. Once, Winter continued, pushing the words out of her lungs. Once I believed with all my heart that I was doing good, but I was wrong. Scarlet's gaze darted to her, then back to the landscape. What's happened? There was a servant who tried to kill herself. I stopped her. I forced her to change her mind. I made her happy. I was so sure I was helping her. 
Her breaths came in strangled gasps, but she kept talking, hoping to push through the hallucination if she ignored it enough. But all I did was give her more time to be tortured by Amory. He was quite fond of her, you see. Scarlet went quiet, but Winter dared not to look at her. The next time she tried to take her life, she succeeded. Only then did I realize that I hadn't helped her at all. She swallowed hard. That day, I swore to never manipulate anyone again, even if I believed I was doing good. For who am I to presume what is good for others? The harness tightened again, pressing against Winter's sternum, cutting against her ribs. The blood was spilling over it now. Soon, it would be sloshing around her ankles. The harness would cut right through her, chopping her into girl-shaped pieces, razor wire slicing through her flesh. Winter shut her eyes. Stay with me, princess. After a suffocating silence, Scarlet murmured, It just seems like there should be a way to manage it without this. The harness tightened, forcing the air out of her lungs. With a whimper, she tilted her head back to avoid it pressing against her windpipe. What? Winter? Stars danced behind her eyelids. Her lungs burned. Blood dripped off the curls of her hair and soaked into the harness straps. She stopped fighting it and let her body slump forward. The straps crushed her sternum, snapped her ribs. Scarlet cursed, but the sound was distant and muffled. Hands thumped against her like mittened fingers, leaning her back against the seat and feeling her throat. She heard her name, but it was far away, trying to reach her across a whole sea of stars, and everything was fading fast. There was a series of loud clicks, and the whir of the harness being reeled into the ship's roof. Winter collapsed into Scarlet's arms, both of them crumpled over the center console. Scarlet struggled to lift Winter's head and open her air passage while keeping the ship from colliding with Luna's jagged terrain. Air rushed back into Winter's lungs. She gasped, swallowing it down hungrily. Her throat was still stinging, but the aches in her chest were feeding into the lost depths of the hallucination. She coughed and forced her eyes open. The blood had receded, and now only the remnants of Ryu's death were left dried and smeared on her skirt. Are you all right? Scarlet cried, half hysterical. Winter met her bewildered face, still dizzy from the loss of air, and whispered, The harness tried to kill me. Dragging a hand through her hair, Scarlet fell back into the pilot seat. Through the window, half a dozen distant domes were growing larger, a slow growth giving way to the subtle impressions of buildings underneath. The harness didn't do anything, Scarlet growled. It's your brain that's the problem. Winter started to giggle, but it was cut short by sobs. You're, you're right, she stammered, hearing Jason's voice in her head. Stay with me, princess. Stay with me. But she was already so far away. My queen. We have been experiencing minor glitches in the surveillance system, random power failures that have been occurring throughout the palace. 
Lavana stood before the grand windows of her solar, listening to the third-tier thaumaturge present his daily report, though she was lacking her usual focus. Her thoughts were a maze of distractions. Despite using every resource available to her and demanding that her security team review hours and hours of footage from the outer sectors, Lynn Cinder and her companions had yet to be found. Wedding preparations were underway, but she had been too livid to even look at her husband-to-be since he'd arrived. Now, she had winter to concern herself with. The ungrateful wretch of a princess had been nothing but an embarrassment to her since the day Lavana had married her father. If Jason succeeded, she would never again have to listen to her mindless mutterings. She would never again have to defend her from the mocking laughter of the court. She would never again have to see the looks of desire following the doltish girl down the palace corridors. Lavana wanted the princess gone. She wished to let go of the resentment that had plagued her for so long. Her life was beginning anew, finally, and she deserved this fresh beginning without the cumbersome girl dragging her down, reminding her of a too painful past. But if Jason failed, Lavana couldn't stomach another failure. My queen? She turned to the thaumaturge. Yes. The technicians need to know how you would like them to proceed. They estimate an hour or two will be required to locate the source of these system glitches and restore the defaults. They might need to disable portions of the system while they're working on it. Will this take them away from the search for the cyborg? It would, your majesty. Then it can wait. The cyborg is our top priority. He bowed. We will keep you updated on further developments. Amory gestured toward the door. That will be all. Thank you for the report. The thaumaturge swept away, but another figure was standing inside the elevator when the doors opened. Lavana straightened at the sight of Jason Clay. There was a shadow across his face, a loathing that he normally worked so hard to disguise. Lavana's gaze slipped down to his hands. They were covered in blood. There was a stain on the knee of his pants, too, dried black. He stepped off the elevator, but Jericho stopped him in his tracks, a palm on Jason's chest. Sir Clay, she said. It's done. His tone carried all the horror that the simple words concealed. A smile tickled Lavana's mouth. She spun away to hide it, an act of generosity. I know it could not have been easy for you, she said, hoping sympathy carried in her voice. I know how you cared for her, but you have done the right thing for your crown and your country. Jason said nothing. When she could school her face again, Lavana turned back. Amory and Jericho were impassive while Jason looked like he would rip out Lavana's still-beating heart if he had the chance. She took pity on him, choosing to forgive these rebellious instincts. He had loved the girl, after all, hard as it was to fathom. What did you do with the body? I took it to the menagerie's incinerator, where they take the deceased animals. None of his anger faded as he recounted the task, though he made no movement toward Lavana. Still, Jericho did not relax. I killed the white wolf too, 
to cover the blood and left the wolf's body behind. The gamekeepers will think it was a random attack. Lavana frowned, her mood dampening. I did not tell you to destroy the body, Sir Clay. The people must see proof of her death if she is no longer to be a threat to my throne. His jaw tightened. She was never a threat to your throne, he growled. And I wasn't about to leave her there to be pecked apart by whatever albino scavengers you keep down there. You can find some other way to break the news to the people. She pressed her lips against a sour taste in her mouth. So I shall. Jason swallowed hard, regaining some composure. I hope you won't mind that I also disposed of a witness, my queen. I thought it would be contrary to your objectives if word got out that a royal guard had murdered the princess. People might question if it was under your order, after all. She bristled. What witness? The earthen girl. I didn't think anyone would miss her. Ah, her. With a scoff, Lavana brushed her hand through the air. She should have been dead weeks ago. You have done me a service by ridding me of her. She tilted her head, examining him. It was amusing to see so much emotion revealed when it was normally so impossible to aggravate him. You've exceeded my expectations, Sir Clay. She placed a hand on his cheek. A muscle twitched beneath her palm, and she tried to ignore the glower searing into her. His anger was expected, but he would soon realize it was for the best. If he didn't, she could always force him to. Lavana felt lighter already, knowing she would never have to see her stepdaughter's face again. She dropped her hand and floated back to the windows. Beyond the curved dome, she could see the barren landscape of Luna, white craters and cliffs against the black sky. Is there anything else? Yes, said Jason. She raised an eyebrow. I wish to resign from the Royal Guard. I asked to be reassigned to the sector where my father was sent years ago. This palace holds too many memories for me. Lavana's face softened. I am sure it does, Jason. I am sorry that I had to ask this of you, but... Your request is denied. His nostrils flared. You have proven yourself to be loyal and trustworthy. Traits I would be remiss to lose. You may take leave for the rest of today, with my gratitude. But tomorrow you will report for your new assignment, she grinned. Well done, Jason. You are dismissed. Chapter 32 Cinder was losing her mind. They had been hiding in Maha Kesley's tiny shack for days. Wolf and his mother, Thorn, Iko, and herself, all crammed into little rooms, tripping over one another every time they tried to move. Though they didn't move much, there was nowhere to go. They were afraid to be heard through the small, glassless windows, so they communicated mostly in hand signals and messages tapped out on their one remaining port screen. The silence was horrendous. The stillness was suffocating. The waiting, agony. She thought often of Cress and Scarlet and wondered if either of them was alive. She worried about Kai as the wedding loomed ever closer. There was guilt 
too. Not only had they put Maha in danger by being there, they were also eating far too much food, having already burned through the measly packs they'd brought with them. Maha said nothing about it, but Cinder could tell. Food was strictly rationed in the outer sectors, and Maha was barely able to feed herself. They spent their days trying to rework their plan, but after all the plotting they'd done aboard the Rampion, Cinder was disheartened to be back at square one. The video they'd recorded remained unused. Copies of it downloaded not only to the port screen, but to Cinder's and Ico's internal computers too. It didn't matter how many copies of it they had. Without Crest being there to tap into the broadcasting system, the video was useless. They discussed starting a grassroots movement. Maha Kesley could spread the word of Celine's return to the laborers in the mine, and let the news spread from there. Or they could send messengers through the tunnels, scrawling messages on the tunnel walls. But these were slow strategies, with too much risk for miscommunication and little chance the news would spread far. There was a reason Lavana kept her people isolated from one another. There was a reason no one had attempted a cohesive rebellion yet, not because they didn't want to, it was clear from the government-sanctioned propaganda that Lavana and her ancestors had sought to brainwash the lunar people into a belief that their rule was righteous and fated. It was equally clear from the tunnel graffiti and the people's downcast eyes that they no longer believed it, if they ever had. Any spark of defiance may have been starved and threatened out of them, but the more lunar cinder saw the more she believed she could reignite them. All she needed was a way to talk to them. Maha had gone to the maglev platform to wait in line for her weekly rations, leaving the rest of them staring at a holographic map of Luna. It had been over an hour, but few suggestions had been posed. Cinder was beginning to feel hopeless, and all the while the clock was ticking to the wedding to the coronation, to their inevitable discovery. An unexpected chorus of chimes made Cinder jump. The map faded, the feed overridden by a mandatory message being broadcast from the capital. Cinder knew that the same message would be played on a dozen embedded screens on the dome outside, making sure that every citizen saw it. Head thaumaturge Amory Park appeared before them, handsome and arrogant. Cinder recoiled. The holograph made it seem as though he were in the room with them. Good people of Luna, he said. Please stop what you are doing and listen to this announcement. I am afraid we have tragic news to impart. Earlier today, Her Royal Highness, Princess Winter Hale Blackburn, stepdaughter of Her Majesty the Queen, was found murdered in the royal menagerie. Cinder's brow furrowed, and she traded frowns with her companions. She knew little about the princess, only that she was said to be beautiful and the people loved her, which must mean Lavanna hated her. She had heard of the princess's scarred face, a punishment inflicted by the queen herself, or so the rumors went. 
We are reviewing security footage in an attempt to bring the murderer to justice, and we will not rest until our beloved princess is avenged. Though our devoted queen is devastated at this loss, she wishes to proceed with her wedding ceremony as scheduled, so we might have joy in this time of sadness. A funeral procession for her highness will be scheduled for the coming weeks. Princess Winter Hale Blackburn will be missed by us all, but never forgotten. Amory's face disappeared. Do you think Lavana killed her? Iko asked. Of course I do, Cinder said. I wonder what the princess did to anger her. Thorn folded his arms. I'm not sure you have to do anything to earn Lavana's wrath. He looked ragged, unshaven, and weary, even more so than the day Cinder had met him in New Beijing prison. Though no one had dared to talk about abandoning Cress, Cinder knew he was taking her loss harder than any of them. She'd sensed from the moment they were reunited in Farafara that Thorn felt a responsibility toward Cress. But for the first time, she was beginning to wonder if his feelings didn't go deeper than that. Wolf's head suddenly snapped up, his eyes locking on the fabric-covered window. Cinder went rigid, ready to load a bullet into her finger or use her lunar gift to defend herself and her friends, whatever this unseen threat called for. She felt the tension rise around her, everyone falling silent, watching Wolf. His nose twitched. His brow drew closer, doubtful, suspicious. Wolf? Cinder prodded. He sniffed again and his eyes brightened. Then he was gone, hurling himself past the group and tearing open the front door. Cinder jumped to her feet. Wolf, what are you? Too late, the door slammed shut behind him. She cursed. This was not the time for her mutant wolf ally to start running around and drawing attention to himself. She yanked on her boots to chase after him. Scarlet landed the ship in a tiny underground port that had only two ancient delivery ships already inside. Once the chamber had been sealed, two blinding light bulbs lit up the ceiling, one of them with a sporadic flicker. Scarlet got out first, scanning every corner, inspecting beneath each ship, empty. There were two enormous freight elevators and three stairwells leading to the surface, labeled RM8, RM9, RM11. Every surface was covered in dust. Are you coming? She called to Winter, who had made it so far as opening the pod ship door. The princess's hair was a tangled mess, and her skirt crusted with blood. The tablecloth they'd stolen had slipped down around her shoulders. Whereas the escape had filled Scarlet with adrenaline, it had left Winter drained. Her head bobbed as she pulled herself out of the ship. Scarlet planted her hands on her hips, her patience stretched to near breaking. Do I have to carry you? Winter shook her head. You don't think we were followed? I'm hoping no one has figured out we're missing yet. Scarlet read the signs again, the letters almost undetectable beneath the dust. Not that we have a whole lot of options at this point, even if we were followed. Scarlet turned back and tightened the tablecloth around Winter's waist so it looked like an ill-fitting skirt, covering the blood, 
Then she unzipped her hoodie and helped Winter into the sleeves. She tucked the princess's voluminous hair back and pulled the hood over her face as well as she could. Not great, but better than nothing. Do you think he's dead yet? Scarlet paused in the middle of zipping up the hoodie again. Winter peered back at her, looking small and vulnerable. She sighed. He's smart and he's strong. He'll be all right. She tugged the zipper up to Winter's throat. Come on. When they emerged on the surface, protected beneath the enormous dome, Scarlet paused to get her bearings. She had looked up the Kessley address on the ship's database, though the series of numbers and letters made no sense to her. The spaceship port was meant for freight, and this entrance was situated between two warehouses, one wall lined with carts that were heaped to overflowing with chipped black rock. Not far away was an enormous cavern opening up into what looked like a mine or rock quarry. Regolith Mining, the sector map had said. Were Wolf's parents miners? Is that what Wolf would have become if he hadn't been conscripted into the army? It was impossible to imagine a life in which he lived here, on this moon, beneath this dome, and never came to Earth, never met her. This doesn't appear to be residential, she muttered. Residences are usually in the outer rings of each sector, said Winter. Outer ring, right. Scarlet scanned the squat warehouses. Which way is that? Winter pointed up at the dome that encapsulated them. Even with the surrounding buildings, it was clear where the dome's highest point was and where it rounded out toward the edges. Scarlet turned away from the dome's center. As they walked, she tried to cobble together a plan. First, find where the people lived. Second, figure out how their homes were addressed and find the home of Wolf's parents. Third, stumble through an awkward conversation in which she tried to explain to them who she was and why they had to shelter her in winter. When the industrial buildings gave way to ramshackle homes, Scarlet was relieved to see address numbers painted on the concrete in front of each building, faded from years of foot traffic. A49, A50, she murmured to herself, quickening her pace. The next circle of houses were labeled with Bs. Easy enough, the Kelsey house was D313, right? So we'll head to the row of Ds and... She glanced back. Winter was gone. Cursing, Scarlet spun in a full circle, but there was no sign of the princess. You can't be serious, she growled, backtracking her steps. She'd been so immersed in finding the house, she couldn't recall hearing Winter beside her since she'd left the warehouses behind. She'd probably wandered off, strung along by some hallucination. Scarlet paused, catching sight of the princess down an alley. She was wedged between two factories and mesmerized by a metal shaft that poked out of one of the buildings. Broken white rock tumbled out of it into a cart below. The red hood was still pulled over the princess's face, and a great cloud of dust was billowing around her, but she didn't seem to notice. Huffing, Scarlet squared her shoulders and started marching toward her, ready to drag the girl away by her hair if she had to. She hadn't crossed half the distance, though, when Winter's head snapped around, away from Scarlet. 
Scarlet's pace slowed, dread pulsing through her as she too heard the footsteps. Pounding footsteps, like someone was running at full speed toward them. She reached for the knife Jason had given her. Winter, she hissed, but either she was too far away or the noise of the clattering rock and machinery was too loud. Winter! A man barreled around a corner, heading straight for the princess. Winter tensed half a second before he reached her. Grabbing Winter's elbow, he yanked back the red hood. Scarlet gasped. Her knees weakened. The man stared at Winter with a mixture of confusion and disappointment, and maybe even anger, all locked up in eyes so vividly green, Scarlet could see them glowing from here. She was the one hallucinating now. She took a stumbling, uncertain step forward, wanting to run toward him, but terrified it was a trick. Her hand tightened around the knife handle as Wolf, ignoring how Winter was trying to pull away, grabbed her arm and smelled the filthy red sleeve of Scarlet's hoodie, streaked with dirt and blood. He growled, ready to tear the princess apart. Where did you get this? So desperate, so determined, so him. The knife slipped out of Scarlet's hand. Wolf's attention snapped up to her. Wolf, she whispered. His eyes brightened, wild and hopeful. Releasing Winter, he strode forward. His tumultuous eyes scooped over her, devoured her. When he was in arm's reach, Scarlet almost collapsed into him, but at the last moment, she had the presence of mind to step back. She planted a hand on his chest. Wolf froze, hurt flickering across his face. I'm sorry, said Scarlet, her voice teetering with exhaustion. It's just, I smell so awful. I can hardly stand to be around myself right now, so I can't even imagine what it's like for you and your sense of smell. Batting her hand away, Wolf dug his fingers into Scarlet's hair and crushed his mouth against hers. Her protests died with a muffled gasp. This time, she did collapse, her legs unable to hold her a second longer. Wolf fell with her, dropping to his knees to break Scarlet's fall and cradling her body against his. He was here. He was here. She was crying when she broke away, and part of her hated that, and part of her felt like it was long overdue. How? I smelled you. Wolf was grinning so wide, she could see the sharp teeth he normally tried to hide. It had been a long time since she'd seen him so happy. Actually, she wasn't sure if she'd ever seen him so happy. She started to laugh, though it was born out of delirium. Of course you did, she said. I really need a bath. He pushed a lock of Scarlet's dirty hair away from her cheek, following the gesture with his eyes still beaming. He ran a thumb across her shoulder, down her arm, and lifted her hand, the one with the bandaged finger. A moment of fury dulled his smile, but it was brief, and then he was examining her face again. Scarlet, he whispered. Scarlet. With a sob, she settled her head into the crook of his neck. If this is a lunar trick, I am going to be furious. A thumb brushed against her ear. You called them swine. Her brow furrowed. What? 
Wolf pulled back and cupped her face in his gigantic hands, still beaming. In the tavern in Ryu, when all those men were making jokes about Cinder at the ball, you called them swine and you got up on the bar and defended her, even though she was lunar. And that was the moment I started to fall in love with you. Heat rushed into her cheeks. Why are you? No lunar would know that. His grin turned impish. So I can't be a lunar trick. Her lips parted in understanding, and another sniff turned into a laugh. You're right. She thought back to a time before she knew about mutant soldiers and missing lunar princesses. When you came to the farm and I thought I would have to shoot you, you told me to aim for the torso because it's a bigger target, then laughed when I said your head looked big enough to me. She dug her fingers into his shirt. That's when I... He kissed her again, molding their bodies together. A high-pitched whistle sounded over the clattering rocks, startling her. Pulling away, she saw Cinder and Thorn, the source of the whistle, along with a dark-skinned girl with blue hair who had her hands pressed dreamily against her cheeks. It was such a welcome sight. Scarlet started crying again. Disentangling herself from Wolf's arms, she hobbled to her feet. He was quick to join her, one arm encircling her shoulders. I can't believe it. You're here on Luna. We're here, agreed Thorn. And if you bothered to RSVP, we would have brought you a snack. His eyes skimmed down her body. When was the last time you ate? Scarlet glanced down. Her clothes hung from her bones. Her muscles withered to almost nothing in the tiny cage. Still, he didn't need to point it out. You look lovely, said the blue-haired character. A little rough around the edges, but it adds character. Um... Thanks, said Scarlet, swiping the tears from her cheeks. And you are... The girl bounced on her toes. It's me, Aiko! The captain found me a real body! Scarlet's eyebrows jotted upward. This was Aiko? Their spaceship? Before she could reply, a sweet singing voice floated through the alley. The parakeets sing to weed a weed a weed, and the stars twinkle all the night. Four pairs of eyes swiveled toward the cart that was now full of shimmering white rock, though the shaft from the building had fallen silent. At some point, Winter had crawled behind it, wedging herself between the cart and the wall. Scarlet could see the top of the red hood pulled over Winter's hair. And the monkeys frolic, a uh, eat, 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 while the rockets fly on by. Cinder approached the cart with her brow drawn and rolled it away. Winter was curled up on her side, facing the wall and drawing little designs into the dust. The tablecloth had fallen open, revealing her blood-covered skirt. And the earth is full tonight, tonight, and the wolves all howl. Howl! The dainty howl faded away. Scarlet could feel everyone's curious gazes switching between her and the princess. 
she cleared her throat. She's harmless, she said. I'm pretty sure. Winter rolled onto her back, so she was staring at Cinder upside down. Cinder's eyes widened. The others crept forward. After three slow blinks, Winter rolled onto her stomach and pushed herself up to her knees. She turned down the hood, letting her thick hair tumble out around her shoulders. Hello. Scarlet started laughing again. She remembered what it was like seeing the princess for the first time. Her full lips, delicate shoulders, huge eyes flecked with shavings of gray, all paired with the unexpected scars on her right cheek that should have made her less stunning, but didn't. It occurred to Scarlet that Wolf hadn't seemed to notice. She felt a little twinge of pride. Stars, whispered Aiko. You're beautiful. A loud click echoed through the valley. Drop your glamour, demanded Thorn, aiming a gun at the princess. Scarlet's pulse hiccuped. Wait, she started, but Cinder had already put a hand on his wrist and was pressing the gun back down. It's not a glamour, she said. Really? Thorn leaned towards Cinder and whispered. Are you sure? I'm sure. This statement was followed by another long, heady silence, during which Winter passed her sweetest smile between each of them. Thorn clicked the safety on and shoved the gun back into its holster. Holy spades, you lunars have good genes. An awkward pause followed before he added, Who is she? This is Winter, said Scarlet. Princess Winter. Thorn guffawed and pushed a hand into his hair. Are we running a boarding house for misplaced royalty around here or what? Princess Winter, said Cinder. They just announced that you were murdered. Jason faked the murder, said Scarlet, and helped us escape. Cinder's eyes flashed toward her, surprised. Jason? Scarlet nodded. The guard who attacked us aboard the Rampion. A shadow fell over Cinder's expression. She looked away. She's just so pretty, Iko sighed, feeling her own face for comparison. Scarlet glared. She can hear. Cocking her head, Winter held out a hand toward Thorn. His eyes widened, and it seemed an automatic response to help her to her feet. He was blushing when Winter took her hand away and adjusted her skirt. You are all very kind, she said, but it was Cinder that her attention had landed on. She studied the cyborg, curious. Cinder scrunched her shoulders in tight to her body. And you, said Winter, are my long-lost cousin and very dear friend. I could not believe it until now, but it is true. Winter took Cinder's hands into hers. Do you remember me? Cinder slowly shook her head. It's all right, said Winter, and her expression said that it was all right. My memories are hazy too, and I'm a year older. Still, I hope we can be good friends again, she interlaced their fingers. This hand is unusual, she said, lifting the titanium-plated one. Is it made of ashes? Is it made... I'm sorry, what? Don't, 
said Scarlet, waving a hand. I find it better if you don't ask. The princess grinned again. Forgive me, you are no longer only my friend or my cousin, and this is no way to greet you. She dropped into a dancer's curtsy and placed a kiss on Cinder's metal knuckle. My queen, it is my honor to serve you. Er, thank you? Cinder pried her hand away and hid it behind her back. That's kind, but you don't have to do that. Again. Ever. Thorn cleared his throat. We need to get back to the house. We've already risked drawing enough attention, and she, he looked at Winter. There was an edge to his expression, like he didn't trust anyone who was more attractive than he was. We'll definitely draw attention.